What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Rockcast podcast brought to you by Onyx Hunt Maps and Rockslide.com. Jordan here, finally getting to uh, recap the Caribou episode, and it has just been like pedal to the metal after this first week of August kicked in. I've just been super busy, and uh, I came back to Nebraska to do some things for the outfit, and I totally forgot all my podcast recording equipment. So um, I've just been rolling off of the microphones that I have available, uh, which aren't the greatest like I usually have. So um, with that, this, uh, this next episode I just recorded through my AirPods, and as I was driving in the vehicle um, back home from the Alaska trip, so it is, uh, it's not the greatest, so I apologize for that, but um, trying to make, you know, the most out of the time that I have because it's starting to get really constricted, so um, yeah, hopefully uh, you get something out of this episode, and yeah, a little bit of a recap from the Alaska caribou trip that was August 10th through the 15th. So I'm just going to kind of re- recap the trip. So we were up hunting the 40 mile herd in Alaska. Um, I was invited by Giannis Patelis from Meat Eater to go up and be a guest on his show on the hunt. That is a, it's a YouTube show through the Meat Eater YouTube channel. Um, I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out. It's not going to be very soon, I don't think. Um, but anyways, when it comes out, that's, that's where you can find it. So, uh, it was an archery hunt. We were both going to do, you know, archery or bust. We didn't even bring a rifle with us. It's really, it's pretty affordable. Um, there were a lot of people that we saw up there that were, you know, they were getting U-Haul vehicles and hunting, um, you know, the road systems. And I don't think that that was very, you know, just for how the herd was moving, and this is something that I didn't know either was like, I just imagined a migration, you know, coming out of Canada, going across Alaska, like that one does. I imagined it like a line of, you know, kind of a, you know, a wide swath of, all right, the caribou were going from here to here, but sounds like they just kind of go in a circle. And after being around the goofy things for a while, um, you know, it, this is really early. So they're still in velvet, the bull I shot was, you know, totally in velvet and, and, uh, awesome. Like, they're like teddy bear soft. I almost couldn't believe how soft they were, but, um, it's a little more earlier season. So they're not in like a big migration. Like, it's not like, you know, you see zero caribou one day and you see 700 the next day or something like that. It wasn't, wasn't anything like that. Um, from what I could gather, they're a little more spread out this time of year, whatever could have made it easier for bow hunting, which, ended up I don't probably think it was um but anyways just watching those things they every once in a while it reminded me of like a puppy zooming around the house you would watch them and they would be feeding and pretty chill and all of a sudden they would just take off running and like run to the top of the mountain and make a u-turn and run halfway back down the mountain and then jet off into the trees like a thousand miles an hour and you're kind of like how the hell are we gonna even get a stock on these things if they're just gonna be so sporadic like that and that's kind of what they are is just like sporadic animals um but anyways 
so yeah, we got to Alaska. I ended up taking a, a Panga from Yeti, their duffel, the 75 liter, which is like the medium. Um, I put my all my camping stuff in that for the ride up. And then I ended up taking the big first light duffel also, the biggest one that they have. Um, I took my pack and I just emptied it completely. I stuck it in the bottom of that. Um, and then I put, um, I brought like one of those Yeti backpack coolers. And that's something that I could have like carried on the flight with me because it is like carry on size. I could have carried it on, taken it up there. But when you're traveling and just dealing with all this stuff, it's kind of nice to not have, um, you know, a bunch of stuff that you're just like going through the airport with. So, um, I put some gear in that cooler, put it inside the giant duffel. Um, and then I took my, I just got like a little SKB pistol case for my, uh, X10, uh, 10 mil from SIG. It's their new P320, that polymer frame. Um, that's a 10 millimeter. And so took that with me for bare purposes. And, uh, so I had that in the case and then I put that inside of that first light duffel. And then like when you get to, and I should say also that like, I just didn't have enough room inside that medium sized panga for all of this stuff. Like, um, I could have fit like probably all my gear in it and I could have like carried on my hunting backpack and I could have carried on that Yeti cooler that had some stuff in it, um, and got by that way. But with all my camping gear inside of that panga, it, I couldn't fit my pistol case in it. So that's some of the reason I ended up just getting that, um, I just took my big first light duffel and just stuck some of that stuff inside of it for the trip up there. So, um, anyways, yeah. Like when you get to the airport with a pistol, uh, you know, I had a case that had two locking holes. Um, you have to have a lock on, you know, both of those locking holes, or if you have a case that has four locking holes, you have to have a lock on all of those just so you know. Um, but it was, you know, pretty simple to travel with a, you know, a pistol or really any firearm going through the airport. You just get there, you declare that it's there. Uh, they have you pull it out, confirm that it is unloaded. They put a little red, red card in there that says it's unloaded. Um, in the Boise airport, when we were leaving, they had to have a a TSA agent came over, opened it, looked through the whole case that it was going to be in, um, had me lock it back up with padlocks. And then that pistol case goes inside, um, that big first slide duffel bag. And then they do mark it to, you know, saying that there's a firearm in it. So when you get to your destination or whatever, it usually comes out of like either the oversized bag wise or like back in a little office and they check your ID to make sure it matches. Um, so they're just not giving a gun to somebody who's not supposed to have it, I guess. So, uh, anyways, we did all that. That's pretty much how I packed. And then I just had uh, a tiny, like the small first light duffel is when I ended up just having like, you know, change of street clothes I put the clothes that I was going to wear in on the hunt in that bag too. And then, yeah, we, I also had, um, my, my bow was in its bow case and that is the, the Pelican air 
and they do call it the bowcase. I think it's like the 1745, but it's the bowcase. Um, so put my, put my bow in there, um, put my like hard case of broadheads in there with it. Just all my archery stuff went in the bow case and then I packed um, some of my extra layers of clothes I like packed around it just to give it a little extra um, closed it up it has TSA locks built right into it I just locked it and then rolled on from there um, I didn't end up actually putting padlocks in the holes for the bow case um, Yanni didn't either so and everything seemed to to be okay like that so Flying with the bow was pretty, pretty easy. Um, so yeah, we uh, flew into Fairbanks, got all of our bags, got a car rented, um, and then uh, we drove, you know, on down to the little town that was going to be where the transporter is to fly in and out of there. Um, what I ended up doing for like just packing wise, like pulled my uh, pulled my pack out. And I packed my backpack just like I usually would if I was, you know, backpacking in like tent, sleeping bag, all my stuff. Um, You know, those transporters and just like Alaska, just the way it is, is like you want to make sure that you have all your personal gear to survive out there because, um, you know, if they were to drop you off and then not be able to bring everybody else in, and you at least have all of your stuff there to, you know, camp, wait it out, whatever, be comfortable. So, um, I did take, you know, and you, you're not going to, they're not going to fly in your hard case of your bow with you. Um, so I do have that TNK, uh, like string and cam protector. They call it their bow sling. Um, you can take the sling portion of it off if you want. It has a sight cover that comes on it too. So I use it strictly just for like a protection purposes uh, when I can't bring the big hard case or even when I don't want to bring a big hard case, like doing some hunts around here, I can just throw my bow in the back seat. That sling gives it a little extra protection. I don't think it's a bad thing to have. So anyways, had that. Um, so the pilot threw my backpack in the back and then my bow with it and then I had like my chest harness and then I was using, using a, uh, my, my pistol holster was the NW retentions. It's a chest holster. I run it underneath of my bino harness. Um, and the, the grip kind of like sticks out at a 45. It's been, I really like running it that way. Um, that way you don't have like just a holster on your pack belt that when you drop your pack and you're trying to, you know, at least not get too far away from your pistol or figuring out where else to put it. I trust holster has been really good for me. So that's uh, what I ran there. Um, my bino harness, I ran the, you know, just the FHF, the medium ran the SIG Zulu nine, uh, nine by 45s. And with that, uh, had my outdoorsman's post cause I did bring my outdoorsman's tripod so I could, you know, glass off of a tripod, which is always nice. Um, and I did not bring a spotter though. Um, we kind of combined forces there and we're trying to save some weight. So Yanni brought his spotting scope. Um, and that was honestly mostly to film with, uh, as far as like, you know, picking up and finding caribou, like they're not that hard to spot. 
um, especially with binoculars. And we were just looking for a good representation of a caribou bull to go after. All right, Onyx Hunt Maps, one of the probably most used tools uh, that you've got, you know, for apps and things. Um, Gosh, we have been hitting it pretty hard trying to get into some different areas, trying to find some like hidden access or tougher to access trails to get into tougher to access areas. And Onyx Hunt Maps definitely lets us do that. If you use code ROCKCAST at checkout, you will get 20% off of your first subscription for Onyx Hunt. So go check that out, onyxhuntmaps.com forward slash hunt. The next up is coffee. Black Rifle Coffee Company for every day on the mountain and here at home. I like Black Rifle Coffee. Really like the AK Espresso. It's my favorite. And then on the mountain, um, they do have instants, but I really prefer the steeping bags. It's a little bit of a lighter roast. Um, the the instants are kind of a darker, more bold roast, but um, those steeping bags are really light to carry around, really easy to use. Um, put them in for as long as you want to get your desired uh, strength, I guess, of coffee, of darkness and things. And yeah, go roll from there. So go visit blackriflecoffee.com. Use code ROCKSLIDE at checkout. You will get 20% off your first order or your first order of the subscription-based service that they have where they ship coffee right to your door. Now, have you guys heard of ActiveJunkie.com yet? I've talked about it a bit, um, and if you haven't looked at it yet, you need to go to ActiveJunkie.com forward slash ROCKSLIDE. Give it a look. Basically what it is, they have a website that is full of stores and like retailers and brand stores themselves and basically what they do is they give you cash back for purchasing through the active junkie website to those brands and retailers so they have like 1500 of them uh there's tons of things to choose from from shields some of my favorites uh moose jaw uh, Yeti is a good one. Um, they have Goodyear tires even, and then they have booking.com on there also. So if you're booking a trip, you can get a little bit of cash back through that. So go to activejunkie.com forward slash rockslide, sign up for an account, go uh, through a brand or retailer that you want to, make a purchase like you usually would, and then every 90 days, um, Active Junkie will send you either a check in the mail to your mailbox for your cash back or they will deposit it into your PayPal account. So it is truly cash. It is not just points that you get on a website that you can only use on that website. So um, you can stack it with coupons from the retailer you're purchasing through or discounts or sales or whatever. So you can really stack on those deals if uh, you spend a little time and do it right. So activejunkie.com forward slash rockslide give it a look. Now, I love gear. I think we all love gear. Clothing is one of those things that we all love. Uh, First Light Hunting Apparel has a ton of it for whatever pursuit that you're in. Now they have new waterfowl gear that just came out. Uh, They have a whole whitetail line. And then of course they have their Western Big Game line that is ever expanding um, by the year. So this year they have their new Omen Rain gear out. I used it last year in Alaska on my sheep hunt really awesome stuff uh, they also have an origin hoodie out so little uh, beef up from the Kalamath that they had nice new face fabric super comfy um, gives you some more features like a built-in face mask which is nice we've got some new whitetail stuff for 2022 that's gonna get kicked out here soon and then the long-awaited waterfowl line has also been released you can find that all 
at firstlight.com. And with that, we're going to roll back into this episode. Um, in a lot of that country, like, unless you're really above the brush line and you can find embedded, that brush is so tall that when they're bedded down on some of those hillsides, like they just disappear and you can't, you can't find them. So, um, I don't know. We brought the spotting scope and filmed through it and it was great. And we used it a little bit for like, we were looking at really long distances, but you know, for the most part, just, um, we would have been just fine with the binoculars that we had. Um, what else on that FHF harness? Uh, I ran their, their bear spray holster underneath of it. And, you know, as far as bear spray goes and traveling, obviously you cannot bring bear spray on the plane with you, uh, like commercial flights, uh, you can't bring it with you. So you just have to, you know, plan ahead and purchase it when you get up there or make, um, you know, some kind of arrangement with the transport that you're going with, see if they have any or whatever. Um, so I ran that bear spray underneath of the harness, which was good. And then just a regular, um, I used the, the SIG Kilo 5k rangefinder and range finding pouch on my right side you know, as naturally right-handers would. And then, gosh, I'm trying to think what else. I, I ran through my bow setup really good uh, on the last podcast, but the Matthews V3X is what I was shooting. I've got the 55 to 65 pound limbs. I'm running at about 60 on my, my poundage, um, running the day six arrows, day six broadheads. They performed like awesome and i'll get into that here in a sec uh run the um the black gold bow sight from sns archery it's the back country um it runs into that bridge lock system in the v3x really easy which is basically that dovetail system right through the middle of the riser for mounting your sight that was really easy to set up there's a ton of travel on it you know left to right um so that was really easy to set up i liked and then just running Matthews stabilizers, both front and the back bar, and then running that Matthews QAD drop away rest that also mounts. It's kind of like a dovetail to the back of the riser instead of bolting onto the side. So uh, that was my bow setup and arrow setup, uh, running the Carter two simple thumb release. Uh, I brought, as far as extra stuff, I brought some extra D loop uh, material, brought some extra serving in case you know, something happened, especially with like your peep site or something. Um, and then, you know, if you're going to bring that stuff with you, definitely educate yourself on how to tie a peep in or how to tie a new D loop or something like that. Um, you know, just knowing little things like that, that's all like field repairable things that, um, you know, can obviously save, you know, save your hunt. So brought that kind of stuff with me. Then, what else bow wise didn't really bring anything else too crazy for it okay so, um i'll just dive right in the story so we get to the transporter we get flown out uh we're there for five full days we got flown in on the ninth season open on the 10th and uh yeah we're in camp ready to rock you know flying in you just see caribou here and there so 
it gives the option whether we wanted to be dropped off on the ridge or dropped off in the bottom at what is actually a moose camp. And there was like a kind of established moose camp, just some people um, go there every year. So uh, Yanni decided to have them drop us in the bottom. We had really good access to, you know, a good campsite, really good access to water. And then we were just going to hike out from there. Uh, so we got dropped off set up camp we did bring a bear fence is a udap bear fence um i mean it doesn't shock like a lot but it's definitely like a peace of mind deal and they're really not too heavy um or bulky for something like that if you're flying in and have a little bit extra space um and weight allowance you can bring it so we did bring that and then, you know, setting up camp-wise, I brought the Argali of Zorka four-person. Um, you know, I easily could have taken a two-person. I just don't have a two-person. Uh, we just run a four-person here for two of us. And and if we wanted to run a stove in it or whatever, it just it's just a big tent. It gives you room, and I really like it. So um, brought that. And then I also brought the insert. So we were really worried about bugs. We actually didn't end up having any issues with bugs. Uh, that first night it froze, like our water bottles were froze and everything. So I think that that killed a lot of the bugs. And it wasn't really until uh, the last day when they took us out in the morning, we were starting to, it had just been hot for so many days. I think the bugs were starting to come back. Um, but we just brought, to deal with those, we, you know, we brought you know, regular bug spray. Um, we brought head nets that we never used. I don't even think most of us used bug spray very much at all. I think I used it maybe one time I like put some on my sleeves and sprayed my hat just to kind of tame them off a little bit. But other than that, we used those little thermocells. Those were really nice. Um, I brought one of like a, you know, a home base type thermocell that we use at the house or like in the trailer. Um, and then just those little handheld ones. And those worked, um, those worked really well, I think. Uh, you know, we would just start noticing some bugs around, we'd kick that thing on, and then we just wouldn't really worry about them after that. Um, but again, it wasn't really like a ton of bugs around to deal with. So, um, yeah, we got in there, got dropped off. Yeah, it was really cold that night. Things froze. Um, woke up the next morning and just kind of started walking around like familiarizing ourselves with the place and um one thing about alaska especially if they're dropping you off somewhere out there like it doesn't really matter where you're camping like if you're in camp like you're hunting like it could happen at any time um so you know we were hunting just right out there at a camp they were crossing a creek in front of us and you know moving around a bit hiked up on a hill behind us and uh, one thing about hiking around there is, like, the hill behind us wasn't that far. I mean, it was, like, a mile or even you know, maybe less as the crow flies. But just walking through that country, it's really brushy. Um, there's tussocks, which walking in tussocks really sucks. It's just very slow. It makes, like, you know, a trip on hard ground. It's really hard trying to go through tussocks. And then you're just on the tundra anyway. So it's pretty squishy. You're working your way through brush. Um, and then it's like, once you get off of the tundra stuff, then you're just in rock fields. And so it's just, just takes a little while to, to move around. And 
I mean, we had a ton of daylight, so that was nice. You know, like four o'clock in the morning, it'd start getting light or a little before that even. And then it would be pretty dang dark at like 11 or something. So pretty dang long days. And, um, yeah, so we just like hiked around, looked at some caribou. There's some caribou that really came really close to us, like little bulls that were just you know, they were like 40 yards from us at some times, just like really curious of what we were. Um, and we didn't really see, I think we saw one big bull that day and he was running around like a crazy dog in and out of the trees and just like running in circles. And then we lost him in the, um, in the brush and in the trees and weren't able to turn him up again. But, uh, so like that basically rounded out that day, like just trying to get a feel for what we thought the caribou were doing and where they like to be and where we could glass from and move through and all the things. And then the next day we basically did the same thing. Um, we did spend a lot of time that day, like on the bottom, trying to just like glass up and hopefully see them on these hillsides and try to make a move on them. And they were moving through the bottoms too. So we were really just trying to put ourselves in a decent place to glass a lot and hopefully be able to like ambush, like run and get in front of one. If it seemed to be on a beeline somewhere and they're really hard to catch in that country. Um, but anyways, we, there had been a few bulls that were going down on the creek bottom and just passing by this one spot. And so, uh, me and, and Ty, the guy who was filming me, we went down, split up from Yanni and the other camera guy we went down and just sat pretty much all afternoon and it started to get, you know, later on, uh, we had made a plan before that Yanni was going to go up to another spot and sit till eight thirty, And then he was going to go back to camp and we were going to try to eat and then just kind of hang out and glass from camp. Um, though that, those long days, like you still need to sleep at some point and keep half, you know, somewhat of a schedule and a routine. So we really tried to do that. Um, so I sat for, you know, a while and didn't have anything come back through, walked back to camp. I literally walk up the little bench to camp, look over to where we were just sitting and there was a bull standing right there. And that I literally think I looked at it and just said, no. So dropped my pack, told Ty to grab the camera, grab my bow. We went down and tried to get in front of him. I probably got to 80 yards and he was through some brush. And uh, there was a little opening if we were to uh, shoot over to our left. There was a little opening with some rocks on it. I thought if we got to that, like, I'd probably have, like, a 50-yard shot and we could get him. And um, tried to sneak through that stuff as much as I could, but there's really not much for sneaking in any of that stuff. It's just, you know, rocks are rolling. It's pretty loud. Um, you're going through a brush. It's just really hard to be quiet, especially with two people. So, um I don't know if he heard us or what, but he just kind of ducked out, like disappeared, didn't see him again. Got back to camp. And one thing I did do is I actually bought, so last year on my sheep hunt, I rented a sat phone. And this probably isn't, you know, for some guys that have done this a long time and I hear with age, it gets better. But like, I like calling home every night, um, you know, talking to my wife checking in just makes me feel just makes me feel better so last year especially on a long hunt like that um 
So on the sheep pelt last year, I just rented a sat phone, I think from Outfitter Satellite or something like that. Rented just like a regular Iridium. Um, I don't remember what the numbers of it were now, but uh, did that and it was nice. On the sheep hunt, I called every other night and we talked for like, you know, 10 minutes maybe every other day and worked pretty good. And then uh, for this hunt, even though it was only five days, I still wanted to do the same thing. Well, long story short, I ended up selling some gear and buying a Iridium Go off of eBay. So for a sat phone, that Iridium Go is basically, they call it like a mobile, like a satellite hotspot. So basically what you do is um, you flip the antenna up, the whole thing powers on, your phone actually connects to it via Wi-Fi. And then... Um, so it connects to it via Wi-Fi and then you make a call on your phone, just like you usually would. Um, that also comes with text messaging, but to turn the thing on and off is like, it's not like keeping your inReach all on, you know, all the time and messaging back and forth. So, um, I just messaged back and forth with, you know, whoever I wanted to on my inReach, which is the Garmin 66i. Been getting some questions on that too after I posted pictures of it, of like, you know, folks in the market that wanted to know if they should get like the mini or the one that I was using. Um, you know, that 66i GPS wise, it's definitely a step up from like just the regular Explore in reach. Um, I, if I was trying to choose between the Explore and the 66i, I would definitely go the 66i route. You can put an Onyx chip in it and it gives you, you know, all the landowner and all that, all those features, um, on a GPS. So, and there's just some more things you can do with it. It has some more features, but if you not so much wanting the GPS side of things, and you just want to be able to talk back and forth, maybe with some really basic GPS features. Um, I, you know, doing it over again, I'd probably go with like the mini two, but I would definitely go with the mini two instead of the one. Um, I've heard they made some big, like, battery life updates on the Mini 2 and just, you know, some other, you know, nice fresh updates and and um, it's a little bit more money to get it, you know, over what you can get the first one for now that a lot of places have them on sale because they're trying to ditch them, but um, I would go with Mini 2. So anyways, 66i, it's a great device. I've been using it. This will be like my third season using it, I think, and really had pretty damn good luck with it, so... Um, I was messaging back and forth with that. <clears throat> and then, uh, when we would get back, we, you know, had time, I would call home. The unit worked pretty damn good. Uh, it was, you know, it worked basically just the same as the other sat phone that I had rented last year. You get like, you know, eight to 10 minutes, I would say on a call before it dropped. And for whatever reason, that just seemed to be what it was up there. So I don't know if it's a satellite thing that that happens, but then I just used the sat phone again here in Idaho, and um, you know I talked for probably 16, maybe 18 minutes on it, and uh, it never dropped one time. So that could just be an Alaska thing because it was pretty consistent with both um, with both sat phones that I had. But at Iridium Go overall, like if you're in the market and you just want to be able to connect your phone to it, or I think more so the Iridium Go would probably be a little bit better for like groups because you can, you can, you can, uh, 
it could handle like five phones at a time. So if there was a whole group of you that wanted to go in and pay for it together, then you could all, you know, um, connect to it and, you know, call home. And that would be a little more cost effective than just me doing it myself. But, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the Iridium Ghost hat phone kind of overview. Really happy with it so far with what you get for it. Um, if you, you know, want to be able to call and actually talk and, you know, in a, in a place like, you know, Wyoming, Idaho, unless you're really planning on being like in the back country where, you know, there's no service for a week or more at a time and you want to be able to call home, then like, this is a good option. If you're in a spot where you're going to be, you know, you can drive to service or you can hike up on a ridge and get service every other day or whatever, then that's like that's probably what I would just rely on because the old sat phones are kind of expensive, but, um, yeah, that's the Iridium Go. So anyways, I called home and Yanni was just getting back, came, came back and kind of debriefed our day of what we both saw. He ended up seeing a caribou that he thought was like 80 yards from me at one point and I never saw the thing. Um, I just think that it was like just enough terrain and roll it. I couldn't see it. And then of course we're sitting down ready for them to come out. Cause you don't be standing when they come out of the bushes and then they're like, Oh, there's a human or something right there. And then they don't want to go near you. So you sit down and then you just can't see as well as if you're standing up. So anyways, we kind of debrief our day. Uh, we make up some peak refuel. We're literally all hanging around camp. And, uh, Yanni goes, oh, there's a, there's caribou right there. And he jumps up, grabs his binoculars, looks at it, and he's like, ooh, look at that bull. And this bull come out of the timber with another smaller one. And before he could even say that, I think I jumped up and grabbed my bow and I grabbed the camera and followed me. And I was able to slip off the bench right into the bottom. And, and, um, it was, there's a lot of brush and stuff in there. It was really hard to keep track of where he was. And they're so like inconsistent. It's not like when he came out, I was like, all right, this is exactly where he's going to go. I just, I got in there and like, you know, somewhat paralleled him just what I could see. And I started running out of cover and I just chose this bush and had Ty get behind me and was like, we're just going to sit here and wait and just kind of cross our fingers and hope he comes out. We started Coming out in the opening, I ranged him, he was 80, and I'm like, ah, he's just going to skirt on the outside of, you know, what I want to shoot. And uh, then he, this little bull, it was kind of funny to watch this little bull try to eat on the same bush that this, the bigger bull was, and the bigger bull, like, tried to hook him with his antlers a little bit and was like, get the, you know, get the hell away from here, get back. And um, when he did that, he he kind of turned himself towards me. And then when he like looked back up, he just walked straight towards me for a minute. And, uh, you know, not a minute at all, actually just like a few steps and then turned and, you know, kind of was working broadside. And uh, there were like two bushes out in front of me that I was going to have to stop him in between. And the last time I ranged him was 58 yards. I whistled at him, tried to get him to stop before he hit one bush and he didn't even look at me. And then he was getting through the other one. And I was getting to a spot where just the way I was situated, I was going to have to start really turning to the right. And it was going to get kind of hard to turn. Um, and then he was going to 
shoot the gap between a couple of bushes. And I was afraid if he got through those bushes and on the other side, there was another little opening, but he was going to start gaining some ground on me. I wasn't going to have a super broadside shot. And then I was going to really have to swing kind of an awkward way. So I just gave him the classic whitetail sound a couple of times. He stopped and 58 yards, things were like, there was no wind. Everything was super calm. He kind of looked our direction, but was like looking through us. You could just tell. And, um, I just settled my pin shot and, uh, heard, you know, really, I watched the arrow go right, you know, through him, you know, heard a really solid report from the arrow. He turned around and ran and I was looking at his offside and there was just white foam coming out. And then, um, it got filmed on a spotting scope as well. And it, uh, you can see blood coming out like immediately, just bright red, uh, you know, lung blood. And he ran like a hundred yards and, and tipped over and that was it. So it was one of those things. It was like, wow, it just happened like right in front of camp. And, you know, from start to finish or when we saw him to when I shot him, it was probably less than 10 minutes. Um, just all happened really fast, but that's like what I was talking about. Just being in Alaska when they drop you off out there, it's like, you're always in play. Like, it doesn't matter where your camp is. If you're, you know, just kind of use your brain a little bit and not be super loud and not be super like, you know, I guess obtrusive to where you are in like, you know, you don't want it to be like a beacon of your presence. Um, as long as you're kind of paying attention and always, you know, kind of ready and have, you know, somewhat of a plan, I guess, you know, and just aren't super loud. Like they can, they can come in right close. And we've had that with elk. Like when I filmed that hunt with Ryan, I elk hunt with Ryan quite a few years ago. Like those elk were getting pushed around a little bit, but you know, we kept kind of a little, you know, a little presence of our camp and we weren't super loud when we were there. And there was a bull that came, came through pretty close to camp and Ryan shot him. So, you know, it happens just because you're back at camp doesn't mean you should be super loud. And, um, you know, it's not like the deer turn their ears off when you're done for the day type of a deal. So just a little quick tip there. So we got him, uh, you know, we got him quartered up and got all the rib meat and the brisket and the neck meat and all the things to make it legal there in Alaska. And we, you know, put them in our golly bags and we all packed them back to camp and you know that moose camp a little ways away from there they had a little spot where they had a meat pole hung up so we got him hung up and then uh texted the transporter told him that we got a caribou down and he came in the next day and picked him up with the cub which was you know always super fun to see caribou antlers strapped to the cub struts and flew him out of there and then you know not that was kind of what we had like we hiked to the top of the hill the next couple of days and all the caribou just kind of you know migrated away from us and got to spots where it you know you can in that country you can see caribou you know from a long ways off but getting to them was like a whole another deal so it was pretty slow the the rest of those days and um you know unfortunately yanni didn't end up getting a shot at one so came home with one caribou and that's what I got and uh yeah got a got a taxidermist that's doing a, a euro European mount on the skull but he's uh, preserving the velvet on the antlers so that's going to be kind of a cool look 
and got the, the meats all home and and uh, currently actually starting to get cut up to get put in the freezer. So um, it was awesome. It was an awesome situation. Um, so like wrapping up some of the clothing stuff. So I, you know, was running off first light. Um, the corrugate foundry pants, those were, you know, a really good option for what we had. It was really hot during the day, which we didn't really anticipate. Um, but with those hip vents, you know, we could roll them, we could just, you know, zip our hip vents down and really let our legs breathe, which was nice. And then we would just have really harsh temperature swings. You know, we'd go from 70 degrees, you know, back down to like mid thirties, high thirties at night. So, uh, those pants are like a good weight for something like that to, you can kind of layer up, layer down, open those hip vents and really be able to breathe. So that's what I wore there. No complaints. I would do that again. Um, did bring like a set of base layers, which, you know, of course you should definitely do that. Um, I ended up taking them off usually like mid morning would warm up and warm up enough. I would just take them off. And with the zippers, like the zip off bottoms are really easy to take off. Um, brought, we had, you know, since we had a little extra weight, we were getting flown in. Um, I brought a pair of socks for every day. No complaints there. I wore the, the, uh, crispy Bristol boot. So that was a good option for this hunt for sure. And then the crispy, the Highland boots. Um, I didn't end up wearing them just because it wasn't super boggy, but uh, those, you know, are great boot. Like I, you know, I talked a little bit about before, I think start, everything's starting to run together the last couple of weeks, but yeah, those, those Highland pro boots, you know, pretty expensive, but they have the, um, for really wet environments, they're a great boot because that, um, gator is basically like integrated into the boot as one piece. So there's, you know, water, if, if you just stand in water with gators on, like if the water is going to be up above the top of your boots, but below the gator, like it's just going to find its way. If you stand there, it's going to find its way, you know, in from the bottom of that gator, make its way up and get in the top of your boots. Um, so with this boot system that they've got with everything kind of all one piece, they, there's just, that can't happen. So it's kind of like the, you know, a rubber boot, version of um a good boot with tread treads on it like good treading you know like good hiking boots type things so um yeah that was footwear there i took uh our gollies new tracking poles are going to be coming out so took those and those worked well of course um took the kafaru slick 20 degree bag the first night, that 20-degree bag was, like, a little cold um, because, you know, we were really pushing it for sure. And then I just kind of sleep cold anyway. So, um, but, you know, the next number of nights when it was just a little, um, you know, it was getting down to, like, 42 a night instead of down freezing. The 20-degree bag was fine. Um, I took the Big Agnes Q-Core sleeping pad. Um you know, really no big regrets on taking that sleeping pad. You know, it was a warm pad. Something that was kind of funny that uh, I haven't done in a while is I, I just bought that pad. 
and I bought it at a regular width. And what I have been doing with pads is buying them at a wider width, but for whatever reason, I was like, oh, regular width will be fine. And it is fine, but I aired that thing up and I'm like, oh yeah, this isn't a wide anymore. So I think I'm gonna go back to like a wide next time I need to upgrade pads or whatever. I'm gonna stick with that wide pad. A little more weight to carry, but I don't really care if it lets you sleep more. Um, I used like a Nemo blow up pillow that was really clutch. So that was basically my sleep system. Uh, and then, you know, other things as far as like, you know, precautions, I just like my extra clothes were in a, you know, a roll top dry bag um, when I was transporting my sleeping bag, even though it's synthetic, I still put it in a roll top, roll top dry bag. Um, you know, anything, we didn't really encounter wet which was crazy, you know, compared to what I dealt with last year on the sheep hunt. Everything was wet. Um, I didn't really have to, de- have to deal with that. But, um, yeah, like, just, if you're going to a wetter environment, just, like, take extra precautions. Put things in dry bags. At least have some dry bags with you so you can use them. Um, I use the Argali, uh, just a fixed blade knife took the caribou apart, you know, really easy with just, you know, the sharpening that I had right on it from the factory. And gosh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, other clothing wise stuff. You know, I use the wig hoodie. I really like that. Use the wig hoodie, put the origin hoodie on over the top of that. Um, I did end up bringing the catalyst jacket as well because, uh, you know, above that was going to be my Uncompadre puffy. And I really like that puppy jacket, but obviously, especially going in and out of brush for a puppy jacket is kind of loud. So um, I wanted to have like another insulating option that I could use as an outer layer that was a little more quiet for stocking and for the bow hunting scene. So I'm really glad I brought that catalyst jacket. Um, and then the Padre puppy. I did not bring puppy pants. I think a couple of the other guys did and they might have put them on when it was really cold the next morning but otherwise we didn't really touch them so I think that I would probably do that same thing again um, I ended up just putting rain pants um, I brought the omen rain gear I just put those rain pants on over the top of my um, you know corgates when it was kind of chilly and that you know those things definitely help insulate you so that was a good move yep and then brought the omen jacket didn't really use it because it didn't rain and then gosh it's kind of it like just brought a regular ball cap sunglasses beanie set of gloves um you know just all your regular stuff oh uh i would say for camp like a really noteworthy thing that was great for camp was the msr uh gravity flow filter that I that I have so I got it from Black Ovis it's a 10 liter roll top uh, water container basically so that roll top is nice because it gives you a really wide area to you know either put water into and I wouldn't say more so put water into it than like when I was in Wyoming a couple years ago I put packed snow in it when we were trying to melt snow um, to not really to filter, but it's just kind of the gravity filters with it. But just that wide top is really nice to pack a bunch of snow into. So um, we use that and that was really nice because it has like a little 
it doesn't go from a bag to a bag. It goes from the bag um, and then through like a longer tube that is the end of that tube after it goes through the filter is actually threaded. So you could like thread it on your water bottle if you wanted to or another water bladder if you wanted to and just let it filter through that way. Um, I usually just filled my water bottle up like as, you know, I didn't really filter it into a bigger container of water. Just filter it right into my water bottle. Um, or like when we were, you know, boiling water or whatever for meals. That that filter was, uh, was really nice. And, you know, even for like washing hands and stuff, just that hose and spout system just gives you a little extra like versatility. And, um, you know, we were really close to a water source, so we weren't too worried about, you know, wasting water, I guess. So that was something that was really clutch. Otherwise we just used Steripins to Steripin our water bottle. You know, that was nice running water next to us. It wasn't like standing and, and goopy. We didn't really need a pre-filter most of the time. Um, so the stair pins were awesome. And then, you know, meal-wise, we both brought MSR reactors. That's another thing, like those little fuel canisters, you can't fly with them. So you just kind of have to be thinking ahead and, you know, try to get, you know, somebody to set you aside some just so you're guaranteed to have some fuel canisters. We didn't have any issues getting those. We bought, I think, three of the uh, 16 ounce, or we brought three of the eight ounce canisters and then brought one, just a little four ounces of backup. Um, we both had the reactors. Yanni had the big pot. I think it's a like 2.4 liter pot. And then I just had a one liter pot and that was good for, you know, there was four of us total. So that was good for boiling water for all of us. We ended up not even going through two of those, those eight ounce canisters during the week with that setup, which was nice. Um, yeah, food wise, just like, you know, we kept it, tried to keep it pretty simple. We did, um, peak refuel and like the gastronome meals, uh, you know, just freeze drieds for the evenings. We did bring some sandwich making stuff with tortillas. So uh, we had some peanut butter and jelly we could throw into a tortilla. We had some salami and cheese that we could throw into a tortilla, which is really nice. Get you away from some of the sugary like bars and um, like old gummy snacks and stuff. Cause that's just like, you get two days into it and you're like, oh man, I really need to eat something substantial. So, um, you know, the salami and cheese was a really, really good addition. Um, meat sticks were really good. We also took like some mozzarella cheese sticks. And I'm trying to think what else was like really, really awesome and noteworthy for our food. Um, but I, oh, we bought a can, like a sleeve can of Pringles for every night we got back. And it was so nice to have something that was like, it's still junk food, but it's salty instead of sweet. So that was really awesome. All of us love that. And then everything else was just, you know, bars, candy bars, just things that are easy to pack and pre-packaged and, and whatnot. So that kind of covered our food situation. I can't really, you know, think of anything else. The Argali bags for the meat were awesome. Um, as far as getting back out and transporting home, basically what we did is after, you know, we got the meat transported back and just doing all the, you know, legal stuff, it has to be on the 
on the bone when you bring it out of the field. When we processed it at the hangar, we um, put it into like uh, just Yeti soft coolers, which worked really well. So we had, um, I have like a, just a Yeti, like the backpack soft cooler. So filled that up. And then uh, Yanni had just one of those like magnetic over the shoulder Yeti soft coolers. Um, so we put the meat in that and between those two coolers, like it was that it was perfect. Um, so check those on the plane, flew home with them. And then I basically repacked everything about the same to come back home. Uh, you know, I was able to pull freed up a little bit of space because I was able to pull that soft cooler out of the big first light duffel. So then I could just like pack other gear in the first light duffel and I could split it up a little more. I didn't have to pack like quite as, what would you call it? Quite as like uh, systematically. I just kind of threw a bunch of stuff together. Um, But between those two duffels and then the hard case for the bow with some extra clothes packed around it, um, that was, that was perfect. And then those two soft coolers that we packed and, uh, you know, it costs a bit to check that many bags on the plane, but it just kind of is what it is. You know, I could have carried on one of those soft coolers, but you're done with a trip like that and you're just in the very first part of your, your, you know, traveling back home. It was nice just to be able to pack it and forget about it. So, um, and then those made it just awesome on the plane. Um, you know, no zippers had been messed with or, um, were broken or no straps were broken or anything like that. So, um, yeah, we came through it pretty much with flying colors. So that is, that was the Alaska spirit experience that we had for caribou. Um, it was a lot of fun. One thing we had talked actually with a biologist right before we went out and he said that, uh, in 2017, they did the herd count for the 40 mile herd and they were at about 80,000. And when they just did the herd count this, this last year, which was in 20, or I guess, yeah, it was just this last summer. They had about, you're more around the 40,000 mark. So, you know, the herd had been cut in half and, you know, he said it's basically because they're, they're eating themselves out of house and home, just not enough, not enough, you know, forage to support that big of a herd. So basically cut in half in four or five year to, years, which is gnarly. Um, and then I know I saw another deal on the caribou forums on Rockside where somebody said that um, this year, as of like the 15th, there had been like, I'm sure it's all changed now, but there was like, 50 caribou or something like that that had been taken by the 15th this year they said last year just because of where the herd was last year in relation to the highways and how easy it was for um the hunters that were hunting off the highway was to get to them they said by the 15th last year they were like 1600 and that's basically just due to where the caribou were in relation to the highways um for the hunters that were coming in off the highway so that's that was crazy to me and that was not very official information that I heard. That was just like somebody on the forums that said it, um, which definitely not discounting what they said, but just telling you it wasn't from like an official source. So 
it kind of wraps up caribou experience. I mean, you know, like I talked about, it's to get flown in and to be a little bit more, you know, kind of off by yourself. It really, you know, is not a huge undertaking financially. It's definitely, you know, more doable, you know, for some people doing something like that instead of going guided. Like I think, you know, the guided outfitted, um, that whole deal is a, a really good way to go if it's like one of your first trips, but if you're, you're more seasoned and you're good at planning and you have all your own camping gear and stuff like that anyways, like going with a transporter, you get a little more of the backcountry experience in Alaska is a good way to go. And then, you know, of course, um, folks rolling in and just trying to do it themselves on the highway have been successful also. So there's multiple ways to do it. You don't just have to spend a ton of money, you know, going with a guide to do some of these Alaska trips that are very much like adventure destination trips.